Hello, hello, hello. I am your Melissa King, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. I got the goosebumps. (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey there, and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz, and we are trucking along through March. Yep, I said it, and I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna play Father Time at this point. Um, it's it's all moving a little too fast for me, and the weather here in New York has been crazy. You know, this week, you know what kick I'm on this week? I'm I'm trying to date more, and what does that mean? I've never I've been single forever but like dating and just dating hasn't ever really been a reality and it's so hard in new york city you would think it was easy because you know there's like eight million people here but no it's it's a mess these men are a mess i went on a terrible date albeit he was 24 no shade to you 24 year olds out there i'm just a lady of a certain age and we're just at different places in life and this person all but asked me what my favorite color was. Mm. I was like, oh, get me out of here. Um, The joyous part about it is that it's all centered around food, kind of. So um, it's it's a great way to explore new things. And speaking of exploring, I am really excited for today's guest. And maybe she has some opinions on dating in (laughs) New York City because Lord knows I could use every little bit of help I can get these days. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Chef Hannah Wong. Say hi. Hi. So happy to be here. Let's talk about dating. Oh my God, right? You you were like, uh, why am I on a food podcast talking about (laughs) dating? (laughs) There's so, I mean, you know, if you work in food, your life revolves around food and and thus like dating revolves around food. And also I hear you. Definitely. Yeah, right. I mean, I always call it, at least with gay men in this city, I call it the New York slots in the sense of, oh yeah, you're great. You're, you're great. But maybe if I pull like the handle one more time, I'll hit the jackpot. Maybe you'll have blue mm, eyes mm-hmm. or maybe you'll have abs or maybe you will be from the same town in Ohio or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's just because the options are so bountiful that, like, mm-hmm. oh, 
I can I can gamble this one more right. time. You know? Right, right, mm, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Any any thoughts or opinions on this? Well, I, I mean, I as you probably know, I moved out of the city a couple of years ago. But while I was there, because I was working in food the entire time that I lived in New York City, uh, it's kind of a weird thing where people are like simultaneously attracted to what you do because there's like a, you know a kind of like fiery energy that a lot of chefs can you know yeah, obviously it, it's they're passionate sex. it's yeah. it's so sensual like you working with your hands doing you know so i feel like there's something very attractive about that to other people and also like they're like fuck this you're not free on friday uh, saturday and sunday like you don't have nights i mean you you know it's it's so limiting logistically so yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I've, I think I've, I've been pretty lucky in my life with, with the people that um, I've surrounded myself with. But it's, it's definitely, it's challenging for, and yeah. it, it doesn't get old, you know, it, it's, it's every, you know, as for as long as you're a chef or as long as you're in the industry, the hours are not going to change. So Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's just, you know, in a city of like millions or however many people are here, you would think it would be a lot easier. And this year I've kind of, you know, um, I have kind of really resigned myself to being like more social, more just more out there, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. In, in and more present in social spaces away from the phone and the social media of it all. Yeah. And I think that's where we'll leave that for now. Uh, we're, we're already unhinged and off track and it's a, it's a complete vibe. Well, I am so happy that you're here and thank you for giving me of your time today. But before we get anywhere, I got to do what I got to do. And in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you happy National Peanut Woo! Cluster Day. <laughs> Peanut cluster. Day. Uh, it's a good last, one. Last good week was National Peanut Butter Day, right? This week it's National Peanut Cluster Day. Why do why do peanut clusters need a day? I don't even know. Is that a candy? What is a peanut I cluster? Think, I think it's is a it candy. an orgy? It's a peanut orgy. <laughs> it's with <an> caramel, <laughs> right? Oh yes, these are. It's like. It's like the peanuts with the with the caramel and they're covered in the chocolate, you know, okay, and I they kind of look that. like they kind of look like uh cow pies or whatever. <laughs> they kind of they kind of look like poop. I can't say uh, I've had one, but um maybe that's the day. This is know. this is the day. This is right? the day for peanut clusters? I mean, are we big into peanuts? I love, you know, I think peanuts are really versatile. I do love them. I Reese's peanut butter cups are like my favorite candy. But as far as using them in in other culinary applications, I think they're really versatile. They add a lot of fat and body to things like sweet, salty, you know, across the spectrum. I think yeah. um, stews, like sauces, you know, yeah. like texture on a dish. It's so, you know, they're very, a very humble ingredient that uh, I think deserves a lot of love. So I'm glad yes. they're getting this day. Humble and underrated, mm-hmm. the underrated peanut, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I guess no matter what you celebrate today, whether it's peanut cluster day, Reese's peanut butter cups, or just, or just peanuts on the side of the street. I don't even know. Today we celebrate (laughs) you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, 
which is very apropos today. Um, did you know, Chef Hannah, that in 1970, in the wee morning hours, New York City police raid a gay bar called the Snake Pit, arresting 167 patrons. At the police station, one of the arrestees, an Argentine national named Diego Vinales, uh, so feared the possibility of deportation that he leapt from a second-story window of the police station, impaling himself on the spikes of an iron fence. Eek. He survived, though the firemen were forced to cut a section of the fence with uh, Vinales still skewered on it in order to move him to the hospital. One journalist remarked, it is no crime to be in a place that is serving liquor uh, illegally. The only crime is to run such place. And I thought this was really interesting. Mm. Just a really interesting tidbit of history, seeming how there's like over what is it, like 500 bill anti-LGBTQ bills mm. being proposed these days and mm -hmm. like this crazy bill in Tennessee where you're not even allowed to be, you know, in drag and bars that may pass. It's, it's, it's a crazy world we live in, but not very much different than what's happening not that long ago. No, it's not. I know. I mean, it is terrifying to walk out the door some days, but I feel like that's why it's so important to have our community and to stand by our communities and support each other through all this ridiculousness. All this ridiculousness. And this is why I keep bringing up these little, you know, factoids every week because our history is important because albeit long, right? And sometimes unrecorded, you know, mm -hmm. we're still living, we're still living in it, you yeah, know? So sure. that's that. Well, Shout out to all the gay activists out there fighting the good fight. Um, we stand with you today. But mm -hmm. I want to get to the getting on. And in your mouth, listeners, if you don't know, and you probably already do, Chef Hannah Wong has worked in New York City since graduating culinary school in 2012. After beginning her career at Daniel Belude's DB Bistro Modern, she worked at highly renowned restaurants Gramercy Tavern, delicious, and mm -hmm. Battersby, while also doing stints in private events and catering. In March of 2019, Hannah part partnered with Yen No of Real Food Catering to open Van Da, a modern Vietnamese restaurant in the East Village. Inspired by owner Ms. No's childhood in Vietnam, Van Da was well-reviewed by the New Yorker and the New York Times and received Bib Gourmand recognition from the 2020 Michelin Guide. At the beginning of the pandemic, Chef Wong pivoted to working with organizations that help communities fight food insecurity. Most recently, you can find her upstate in the Hudson Valley, wowing the crowds at her all-day cafe, Morning Bird, and her restaurants, The Avery and The Nest, in the Kinderhook Knitting Mill. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Wow. Welcome. What? That was thorough. Wow. <laughs> it, it was. Well, listen, we gotta, we gotta oh. give, we gotta give the credit where credit is due, oh. right? I, yeah. I like that reaction. Um, what's it like hearing that back? Uh, you know, it does. It's good. It's good perspective on, uh, you know, sometimes when you're working these hours and. The intensity of everything, you kind of lose track of time. You lose, you you know, you kind of lose a little bit of perspective when you're just kind of grinding it out. So it's it's nice to like step back and be like, oh yeah, like I was there and I was there and this happened in my life around this. And it's it's good. It's good to see it kind of as a cohesive, you know, some kind of cohesive arc. Uh, yeah. It's a good feeling. I mean, it, it, yeah, I feel mm -hmm. it, and I feel like there's 
that journey kind of, when I look back on it now, cause I'm a little bit older, it's, it's, I feel like those steps in my life may, you know, it makes sense where I am right now based on like everything that kind of happened before. So yeah. there, there's a nice, th- that's a nice feeling, you know. And you've certainly made your mark, left your mark, and are continuing, as I can see, right from all my deep diving, to leave a mark and a very important one at that. But I always like to start at the love of food. Where does the love, your love of food, come from? That's, I feel like that's a very complicated question. Um, I, my father, both my parents are immigrants from Hong Kong. And my father, when he moved to New York City, uh, worked in a restaurant to put himself through college and continued to work in restaurants for, for a while. Um, and, you know, so I grew up, when I was growing up, I always came home to a three course meal for dinner. You know, it was very, it was home cooking. It was very classic Cantonese home cooking, but it was, you know, like a fit, like a whole fish and like a a beef or a chicken or something and rice and soup always and a vegetable, you know, it was like, I didn't realize that people didn't eat like that. Like the kids didn't eat like this until I get to college and I meet all these, you know, I went to college in Western Mass. It was very different demographic from what I, you know, what I grew up. I grew up in a very, um, Eastern Asian community. And so I got to college and I, you know, people talk about what they grew up eating and I'm like, what? Like yeah, cream craft- cheese on white bread. And, you know, all of a like, sudden the craft Mac and cheese boxes start coming out. Right. And I would come up with, you know, we'd stop at the Korean store on the way up and I'd get these like microwave rice bowls with kimchi and seaweed and like anchovies. So I could have, you know, I still have some food that was you know, that I was familiar with more familiar, you know, that kind of reminded me of home. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I, I felt like food was for a lot as, as it is for a lot of kids growing up, I think, especially from, um, you know, immigrant first generation households, food is a way for parents to show their care because there's not a lot of, oftentimes I feel like there's an emotional disconnect, you know, it's hard to relate to each other cross-culturally, cross-generational language barrier, you know. Um, so with all the conflict and tension and difficulty in connecting in these kinds of households, I feel like food is often the one thing that really doesn't, is there's not really a barrier there, right? You can mm-hmm. really, you don't have to be able to verbalize or articulate the feeling. You can just kind of show it through through the food. And so food. I think and that... And there's something to be said about just the the taste, the taste of home, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense, coming from like, you know, culturally rich backgrounds that are like centered around the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, like me, you know, I recently went out uh, to dinner with my brother at a Puerto Rican restaurant. And as we were sitting there and it was delicious. So we were sitting there, I was like, oh, my God, I haven't had like because I don't cook Puerto Rican food like that just because of my gay body dysmorphia and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's usually high in fat and delicious, but I just, I just remember sitting there and like absorbing the moment that it tasted like home and it reminded me and it was like this flood of memories. And I was like, Oh my God, um, I, this was delicious, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, I need, 
I need to connect with this a little bit more. Mm. You know, it was a nice reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, no matter, I don't know about, you know, your struggles growing up, but, um, I feel like that pleasure around food that you experience as a kid, or even later in life, I feel like there's a, there is a kind of like purity of it. There's it's because it's so primal, right? It's so, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so much about the sensory experience to me. And I feel like there's a purity of that, that, um, feels like so just refreshing and simple and uncomplicated. And, uh, that, that to me is like, you know, despite all of the shit that can happen as a kid or in this world, being able to enjoy food. And I think oftentimes, ideally with the people that you care about and love, uh, that, that is a, it kind of distills a certain pleasure in life. You know, that, that is uh, to me, that's very meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. So where was that moment for you? Because you weren't always on a food journey. Where was that moment for you that like kind of clicked that you were like, oh, I really need to be doing this, right? Because uh, a lot about a lot of what I read about you is like building community through food. But like, when did when did the switch flip for you? Hmm. Well, I got into cooking because um uh, you know, I always, I felt like I always had an appreciation of food as a consumer, mm-hmm. um, that I, f- I had from a very young age, but, and, uh, when I was traveling after college in Southeast Asia, um, I really, that's when I really started making this connection between food as a vehicle for, you know, receiving different kinds of cultural knowledge and just experiencing a place through food. And that got me really excited. And then when I was working, uh, in publishing, um, you know, I, I realized that I think that's when something, some, something happened to me. I was feeling like, I don't think my body is meant to be in an office chair, you know, for eight hours a day. And as much as I loved, I mean, I loved, the intellectual stimulation of that kind of environment. And, you know, I thought I was going to grad school or maybe be a lawyer. Like I had, I I thought I was on this kind of track and I realized my body was just suffering though. I've realized, and I kind of, this was a period of my life where I was like deeply unhappy. And I felt like a lot of it was because I wasn't using my body in the way that I think I needed to be. And so I started working at this restaurant in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, where I was living on the weekends, just, you know, helping out and expediting and hosting. And then I, I kind of fell in love with the environment. Um, and there was a night where I, I realized, you know, I was that I felt like I really had to make a drastic change in my life in order to, in order to kind of survive. Like I felt like I was, if I continued doing what I was doing, that was not going to end well for me. So I literally, applied to culinary school the next day. I mean, you know, I grew up with a chef as a father, but I never was allowed into the kitchen Mm -hmm. because it wasn't really a, you know, it wasn't really a career that he thought or my parents thought was respectable or kind of what they wanted for me. Right. They wanted Mm -hmm. me to not be a blue collar laborer, I think. And so, um, but 
I don't know. Like, you know, I, so, and I don't know where that intuition to apply to culinary school came from. It was, you know, I've, I, I don't, to this day, I don't know where it came from. Um, but I knew that I had to just like make, make a very drastic change in my life because, um, I was, I was so unhappy. And so I did that. Um, and I realized, you know, as soon as I stepped into a kitchen, I, I realized like that, damn, I like feel so alive. Like I feel that, that this is the most alive, um, I've, I've ever, you know, like so in my body and like, so just locked in and you have like the intense, like mental, you know, the energy that is also involved in cooking, which I love you. Like you're like, you de- you develop these habits through like routine and practice where your, your body has, you know, it, it, it kind of like can move on its own, but then, you know, as you get on in your career and I think, you know, maybe tap into a little bit more creative energy, you know, there, there is like a dance between your body and your mind and, you know, what's happening inside the, the creative energy or inspiration that you're, that you're bringing at all. It's kind of, I think the last couple of years for me have really been, especially exciting because I feel like all of these things are really, you know, kind of cohering in a way that, that is, um, translating to the food and also to the community building. Yeah. You speak about, um, this, uh, like for, for me, the words I'm putting into it, uh, like this divine intervention that you needed a drastic change. Right. And so, and how beautiful that journey is. And as you were speaking, it got me thinking as well, that the correlations of of how you were feeling just in life in general for work wise and how that how that is like almost side by side parallel to coming out right and not feeling grounded in yourself and mm-hmm. and knowing that like something needs to change so that way I can really feel like in my body in you know mm-hmm. together would mm-hmm. you agree for sure yeah um that's a that's an interesting uh comparison because I feel like you know what the way, when I just told you my story yeah um it it there was like a I can remember to this day like a very particular moment in time where I was like okay this really has to change like right now whereas I think for me my experience with coming out and I don't even really know how to I you know I still haven't really learned how to create a story like to tell the story of it to me I still first of all it's still in process right I, I think um, it's a never-ending process it's a never-ending never, process for never sure ending. yeah and I think I still struggle sometimes with kind of how to talk about it neatly because I think it is super messy or it can be and mm-hmm. and not linear right and Absolutely. um yeah. so I feel like I, I grew up in a very religious household and I had no concept of queerness until I got to college and I I fell in love. And, um, at the time, I guess I didn't really think of it as like falling in love with a person who happened to be a woman, you know, and I was kind of just, uh, I don't think I quite realized, um, how to be queer at the time because I was just, you know, it just, I just started dating people. I didn't realize, I didn't know what queerness was as an identity or what queer community, you know, I didn't, I didn't really seek those things out the, in the first, you know, maybe five years that I was coming into that 
that queerness. Um, I think it was because like you were saying, I was just, if I, I felt like there was so much to figure out internally and until you Mm -hmm. really kind of feel grounded, I think in your internal, what's, what's happening for you internally in your body. Um, there's a, I think for me and my experience, I think I needed a lot of time to develop that kind of confidence in my identity and what I was doing with my life and the people I was surrounding myself with before I could even, you know, think outward about, okay, um, how, how do I like represent myself as a queer person to, uh, at work or like with my family or, you know, whatever. And, um, that, that to me is, is, I think when people talk about coming out or when people who, who aren't queer, who haven't gone through this process for themselves, think about it. Sometimes they think about it as only internal, right? You have a process that you're going through internally and the coming out is just like the release into the world. But I think there's so much like of this toggling that you're doing where there is a lot of internal struggle or, you know, a process and there is like the external, how do I communicate this to people or how do I present and all that. But you're, it's like this back and forth. It's so, it's so not, streamlined you know? Absolutely. Yeah, know there's no there's no rule book about it what was the key for you to figuring it out then i think for me it was it, it's i feel like it's just been about learning to love myself yeah i i, I don't mean for that to sound all like you know um it's, it's hard it's hard and we don't you know what? I forget what I was reading the other day about like loving yourself and whatnot. And you don't even realize, like I do it all the time to myself, even on this podcast, I mentioned my gay body dysmorphia, right? Mm -hmm. It's a little self-deprecating and it's like, oh, we could change that language Mm -hmm. or like looking at yourself in the mirror. Like when you go to the shower and you're like, maybe I shouldn't look in the mirror for a couple (laughs) of weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, those are like micro aggressive, if Mm -hmm. I may use that, like, negative things towards yourself that it's not yeah. necessarily loving so mm-hmm. like so yeah. that's that's hard to it's, sometimes it's hard to do when we realize we're not being kind to ourselves yes like yeah. we don't realize we're not being kind to ourselves you know yeah for sure and uh, yeah and i i think what i also meant when i was when i said that you know that loving myself loving your you know that is the key to coming out because i think coming out requires I don't know if confidence is the right word, but like a kind of certainty in what, like a certainty or a security or some kind of like, I'm here and I'm queer and this is, you know, this is part of the story. It's not all of it, obviously, but like, and in order to be grounded in that kind of like, you know, putting yourself out there like that, I think you do have to have like, you have to not be self-hate, like you have to be okay with it. And I think that... For anyone, but I think for people, especially who maybe come from religious homes or, you know, homes where families aren't uh, comfortable with that or don't have a lot of experience with it. Um, there's so much like self, that self phobia, the self homophobia that you have yeah. to conquer in order to to come out uh, to the world. So, I, yeah, I, I don't, that is, I hadn't thought about that in a minute because now I just, you know, I think bless the the people that came before us who fought for our ability to like move through the world 
in in many places in America, and like sadly not all of them, but to be able to move through the world at times and and not even have to think about it all the time, you know. Yeah, and but this is um, also the joys of. It, this is what brings me joy, and this is why I do what I do on this podcast is talking. Yeah, we can sit here and talk uh, and shoot the shit, right, and laugh about dating and whatnot and, like, talk all things about food, right? You can you can give me all the info, right, about the most delicious things that you're doing, right? But, like, it's this connect that we as LGBTQ people, especially in the food space, right? Um, and we talk about a lot about like toxic kitchen culture here and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, don't often have the space to commune like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, y- yes, like, yes, food is the great unifier. And yes, like, you know, everybody's everybody's a foodstagrammer these days. Mm-hmm. And yes, like, but like connecting like this and hearing these stories and like, connecting it through food and what we're doing, right, is like, is what really brings me joy, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and hearing, hearing all these stories and hearing these opinions and hearing the journeys, right, because five years into it, I've heard so many, right, mm. and, not, and not a one is the same, right, mm. and, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's beautiful, it's beautiful, and it's, and it's sometimes bittersweet, and sometimes it's sad, and sometimes it's like, you get the full spectrum, yeah, of what it is, right? And so it just brings yeah. me joy. So thanks. Well, thank you for being a queer food-centric storyteller. You know, I, um, I, I've been deemed the Andy Cohen of food. I don't know if I can still use that anymore, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but sure, right? Like, and y'all are my real housewives, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Anna. I think now would be a great time for you and I to take a break, maybe maybe taste something delicious, or maybe have a cocktail, and we're going to be right back with my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, Hannah, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call... Food news update. Food news, news. Uh, Food news. Ooh, honey. You ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News update. Shake Shack's truffle table will turn your next burger night into a fine dining experience. Oh man, <laughs> Shake Shack truffles. I love. I can't. No one can hand truffles, but. There's a time and a place for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. not at the Shake Shack fucking, you know. <laughs> you know. There is a Shake Shack right outside my window. There's also a Smash Burger right outside my window. There's all sorts of things outside my window. And you know what? Albeit greasy and delicious, I can't eat it. It ruins my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really, really ruins my life. So apparently, um, like a week and a half ago, Shake Shack restaurants across the U.S., transformed one special table in their shop into an upscale dining setup. Um, And it was 
apparently it has a white truffle menu. And so the prefix menu included a white truffle burger, white truffle shroom burger, and Parmesan fries with white truffle sauce. It's too much truffle. It's, it's too much too. truffle. And uh, who's going to Shake Shack who wants truffles? Like, and what, you know, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know? Fast casual is so ridiculous sometimes. It, 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 it really, really is. I mean, can't you just, you do one thing fairly well. Right. What? Why do we need to, why do we need to, like, sign up for the gimmicks, you know? All of this clocked in at just 20 bucks per person, though. So, like, they made it affordable. So, are they actually using real real white truffles Mm. or is it essence of? Because you know as well as I know that if we're going for a truffle situation anywhere, that ish is expensive as all Mm -hmm. For sure, Yeah. Um, twenty dollars for all of that. I'm thinking it's coming from a bottle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. I don't know. You know what? The other day, well, not the other day. Like a couple months ago, I went to Trader Joe's and they had. I don't often buy jarred sauce, but like you know, sometimes I'm so busy, and then you buy you buy the jarred sauce, and then you have to doctor the jarred sauce. And one of their sauces was like some sort of like truffle sauce, and it sounded good on paper. It tasted like, it tasted like soap because there was hmm. so much truffle. Mm-hmm. It, was, yeah. it was gross. I mean, I feel like truffles are, it's not, they're a flavor bomb, but I, so, and I think you have to know how to, you know, have to have like, you have to know how to utilize them. You can't just be heavy handed with, you know, it's yeah. not like the more is better you know, with them. And we, we did an event actually in December with, um, two of the loveliest people ever in food. And I, I don't know if you've ever had them on your podcast, but they're so incredible. Uh, Rita and Jody from, uh, Via Crota and Isodi and all those in um, but mm-hmm. they came all up those places you can't, get all into. those places you can't get into. Um, they did a, an event with us in December and, and brought some black truffles up and we used them a for a bunch of things and they were incredible, but I, I, you know, it was incredible to see, it's always incredible to see chefs respect ingredients, you know, and be very, you know, not, I think people think truffles are like gold sometimes and there's a a kind of a silly reverence for them, but I think they, they kind of were like very chill about it. They were, you know, they were like these, yeah. Let Go for present, it, yeah. Let me present this to you then, totally. and then we're going to move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, cause truffles are so revered and so, like, you know, have this, like, umbrella of fancy schmancy to them, right, to keep it real low-key here. Is it is this, then, making it accessible to the masses? I'm you all know? about, yeah, totally. I'm all about leveling the playing field and give making food accessible <laughs> for sure for sure um, but did i take I just, it too far with the well, fast I casual like... sure. I, I mean i'm very curious about what those dishes at shake shack tasted like because if they actually like rep you know represented truffles in a way that makes people be like oh this is actually like man i could get into this or like may- maybe i'll this is like an, an ingredient that um that i should like look for more or whatever but if you know, if you go to a store and buy like truffle mayo and it's, it tastes like soap, 
you're never going to want to, you know, try Not a truffle again. again. So, exactly. yeah, I, no, I, mean, I took it to a very serious place <laughs> about food inequality here. So <laughs> you did. I thought this was the fun part. <laughs> well, I think you and I are on the fence about this. I don't I don't know. We're not we're neither here for it nor not here for it. I'm getting the sense I, of. I, and I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we can leave it just there. Cool. Sir Kensington's ketchup is being discontinued. Womp womp. Did you hear about this? I didn't, but I can't imagine. I just don't believe in any other ketchup besides Heinz. I really don't. Are, so are we a ketchup stan? I'm I'm off the ketchup. I, I will eat it. Oh, I love there. it. No, I, I love it. I will eat if it's there, but like anything else. Give me chipotle, aioli, ranch, anything but. I like a double. I like a double sauce situation. Like I'm, a, I'm a ketchup and something else, right? So if maybe I maybe ketchup fries, mayo, like because yes. I'm Puerto Rican. Hello, but like ketchup mayo on a burger. Yeah. I mean, yeah, D- for delish. sure. Delish, but like I've never. I'm kind of like it's too sweet, mm-hmm. right? But this is what makes it sad because Sir Kensington's had a little bit more flavor depth, so it's sad that it's going away. I see. Yeah, I guess I, you know, when I open a bottle of ketchup, I'm not looking for depth of flavor. Like I'm looking for that slightly sugary, like fake tomato kind of, and sometimes I'll add like Tabasco or some, you know, sometimes Delicious. I'll doctor it. Yeah. We'll yeah. go semi-homemade, but like, I, I really just like to pour, like do a little ketchup on my eggs sometimes. Yeah. Like it's, a curry, I'm so a, a basic. Curry ketchup. Curried ketchup. Yeah, curry for sure, for sure. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I just, you know what? I was a fan, although I'm not a, a huge fan of ketchup these days. I was a fan of Sir Kensington's ketchup. It was just tomatoey and not that like high fructose corn syrup sweet. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it was very, very delicious. But apparently, um, because of low margins, the sale of the company and a refocus on its more popular product, Sir Kensington's Mayo, they're discontinuing the ketchup even though it was their product that launched them but this is the thing right i don't feel like there's so many competitors in like mustard and mayo and other condiments and ketchup is the one i feel like it's a thing like you can't beat people and it's not about the flavor because i told i've never yeah. had sir kensington sir kensington's ketchup but i I and believe you, you 100% again. that it, the flavor is great, but no one who's like going down the ketchup aisle, it's all about nostalgia. Yeah, it's all about it's all about the Heinz, right? Or, oh my God, or French's, because French's made ketchup. We used to have French's on our hot dogs, nice. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Well, I don't know if we're here for, I mean, I guess we're here for ketchup. It's sad that, I mean, but Sir Kensington's is fine. They're still making money off of all this mayo. <laughs> Their mayo's bomb. Their mayo's great. The mayo's good. So, like, shout out to you. They're Sir doing Ken- fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> <know>. Like, let's... <laughs> And last but not least, your rescue pet could become the new Cadbury mascot. Now, do we like Cadbury eggs? I can't tell you when the last time I had a Cadbury egg was. Uh, same. I mean, I, I'm a little, 
I'm, I'm, it's not because I work in food, but I'm a, I'm a little particular about chocolate and it's not something I'm, I'm, I crave a lot, but I did tell mm. you, and just the beginning of the podcast that Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite. So I was like, wait a minute, are we a chocolate we're, we're, snob? We're, because we're, I was like, I was like, I, I know I heard something about Reese's. We're definitely, well, what did Walt women say? We're, we're full of contradictions, right? Multitudes oh of contradictions. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Um, have you ever had uh, Tony's Chocolate Lonely? That is my favorite chocolate. Oh my god, it's so good! Not a sponsor, but that purple one—the the dark chocolate with the pretzels and the toffee. Oh, I haven't had that, but I'm uh, look out for it today. Oh my god, it's so good! I like the um, there uh, one I had. I like the green and the orange flavor. I you know, but yeah, whatever I, I those think flavors uh, are. The, one of the them is like a one. toffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll look for the purple one, but the toffee one is good too. I think it's yes. milk chocolate and toffee. But we were just talking about nostalgia, and what's more nostalgic than Cadbury? Than Cadbury and that famous commercial that's been running how many years now? At least like fifty or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't realize that. I'm thinking about this now because that bunny box it sits there and it's like buck, 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 buck. Do do rabbits buck? I thought that's like chickens. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> and then, all, like that big lion is like, bark, bark. Right? Oh, <laughs> do they bark? I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do you well, own? But any do pets? chocolate rabbits? What? What is the sound that chocolate rabbits make? I don't know. Why do they got to be chocolate rabbits? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have two cats actually. So, oh. um, are they rescues? Because yeah, they, they could be, They could win. They could win. Yeah, no, they're uh, a funny story, but that that's for another time, maybe. Cadbury is hosting a nationwide search for a shelter-adopted pet so it could find that star-destined animal. Why rescues? According to a statement provided to Food & Wine, it was a decision made in honor of Cadbury's partnership with the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the ASPCA. And you can enter by just submitting a cute photo and you could win $5,000 for yourself and then $5,000 for an animal shelter of your choice. What? I might actually do this. You just have to submit a photo. Yes. Of your, uh, you submit a photo. Think of your pet. uh, Think your pet has what it takes to be the next cream egg egg basket carrying star. To enter, (laughs) pet parents can visit CadburyTriots.com. Um, the, su- the submission is surprisingly simple. Just upload a photo of your pet in its cutest form while wearing those iconic Cadbury bunny ears. So you have to, <laughs> so you have to put bunny ears okay, on your yeah. thing. I mean, why not? I don't know. Am I, Five God. grand? I feel a little strange taking advantage of my pets like that. But, but if you win. But they could be insta-famous. Then, then your then pet's would be, you know, d- putting in putting in the time and effort to help out other pets because, you know, that's that, five, true. that five grand goes to a animal mm-hmm. shelter of your mm-hmm. choice, mm-hmm. you know? All right. And I mean, and think of all the catnip you can buy for $5,000. <laughs> I think we're here for this. I think I, I we're agree. here for this. I'm, I'm here. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's also the best way to end Food news update. Take that to the mill with you today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. A question that I love to ask um, that always prompts a really interesting answer. Do you think there's a a cross-section between 
being queer and food. We often talk about queer food and what does that mean here on the podcast? Any thoughts That's on this? That's such a good question. I mean, I definitely think there is something about working with food that, yeah, I, I mean, I'm saying this based on my experience of working in kitchens and around food and feeling like so many of the people that I've encountered on my own journey are, are queer. And um, I, I think that there's something about, well, two things. I think there's something about the environment of in, in, in industries, in, in our industry where it draws people, it draws like weirdos. It draws like misfits. It draws like weird, you know, people who don't, who are kind of like, if not like, gender queer or queer in their sexual orientation, just having a different, like a slightly different perspective. Right. Um, and I think it, it does like really something about working in food draws a certain kind of person out. And the second thing I think is, I think, you know, working in food, it's a very, um, it's like an, even though the industry can oftentimes be super talk, like you, like you've said, mm -hmm. toxic, and harmful um there is something about f working in food that is like really nurturing and about care and i think that's something that queer people know about in a different way because you oftentimes that's like how you survive is by caring for each other and i think especially in the last couple few years with the pandemic um i i think we've seen this focus or this re recommitting to food as a way to care for our communities and and serve our communities because I think that's the other thing is you know I believe so much in in any kind of leadership as a form of service first and foremost mm -hmm. and and go and going back to care I th I just feel like one of the reasons why food is so important to any community, any community, but especially marginalized communities, is that it is such a visceral, tangible way for us to take care of each other. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, basically the heading was, you know, chosen family here, right, mm -hmm. is the best family, right, in, mm -hmm. in the sense of like, creating the community around you when you may not have the support behind you from like, blood relatives and whatnot, creating that circle, right? And which often happens not only around the dinner table, but also in these restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's a it's a, like you said, it's a community of a very specific type of person that like mm -hmm. does this work and knows how to excel at this work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean we talk about restaurants as, you know, your restaurant family. We use that term all the time. And I think yeah. there is a lot of I think there's a lot of truth to that um, as a kind of chosen family in the same way a queer, you know, your queer family is chosen. And I think there is a similar, you know, I think that is a similar kind of repurposing and maybe, you know, finding empowerment in that term family, because, you know, a lot of yeah. times queer people don't are estranged from their blood relatives or, um, you know, have come from very challenging 
um, yeah. family situation. situation. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it's like an interesting parallel to think of restaurant families and queer. You know, I think there yeah. is definitely. Um, I don't think we've also gone down this road. Well, I've got I've gone down so many roads with this question, and I and I always love the answer because, you know, sometimes especially with the people that don't know how to what to do with it, like you're fantastic. But there's some some people get really stumped, and it's just a really fun kind of like, you know, conversation starter. Mm-hmm. Speaking of restaurant family, do you serve good family meals? Or is it a bucket of bones and a side? No, no, no. Oh God, no, no, no. We we do. We've all been there. For sure. I remember picking through stock bones to serve meat, you know, for family, of course. But, mm-hmm. um, no, we, we do. We take care of our, you know, we take care of our people. I, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking about the last one. I, I'm really into, like, I, I, I'm i using this word so ironically, so I hope no one takes me seriously. But I, I'm, I'm really into, like, exploring fusion these days. Like, I'm really kind of bringing it back in our family meals. So I made, like, a, a bolognese the other day, and I... Um, but I made it with like lo mein noodles and it was mm. really, it was really good. And then I was just like reading a you know, food magazine and there's this whole thing about bringing fusion. I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm in a place right now where I'm interested in how to, um, how to, you, you know, combine different f- foods from different countries, different regions, influences in a way that is still, I don't know. That still feels personal, authentic, whatever that fucking means. Authentic to me. Yeah. Um, but I love that it comes out in family meal. There's nothing yeah, better. Yeah, right. <laughs> in, your mouth, in, in your mouth, listeners, if you've never worked in a restaurant, family meal is the meal that they serve you before your, like, 10-hour shift, right? And and I have had some disgusting, disgusting family meals. Like, leftover pasta with cans of tuna and black olives and whatever else they like found in the fridge and thrown in one of those um one of those plastic bins and mixed up and, <laughs> and <Busted>. yes it's <laughs> just like one of those bus tubs and it's just like wait a minute weren't all the dirty glasses in here just like 10 <laughs> minutes ago <laughs> Yeah, like, it's a little no. rough sometimes. So yeah. um, I always love to ask people what they're serving for family meal just because I'm a hungry bitch and, and, <laughs> uh, and, and I like to t- make sure you're taking care of your people. Before we close out, what's next for you? Um, well, the aviary is uh, in Morningbird are open. Um, the aviary is op- our, our dinner restaurant is open three nights a week currently, Thursday to Saturday. The, the cafe is open Thursday to Sunday. Um, we serve breakfast and lunch. Um, I hear the, the breakfast sandwich is everything. It's all over the internet. <laughs> it's a really good sandwich and the mochi donuts are And the mochi also, donuts, yes. You know, um, what, you know what I don't have in this apartment? A mochi, mochi donut. Do- mochi donuts are that nice... Nice breakfast sandwich. I'm feeling, oh, yeah. I'm feeling very neglected. And we don't do delivery <laughs> quite yet. Um, I'm sending an Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're you know we're gonna you know the restaurant's pretty new. We just opened last fall, so so we're gonna try and get some more traction um, with the restaurant. Potentially open for another night or two, um, and kind of just get to a place where we're like crushing it, you know, I really feel excited about this year. I think we're, we're, it took a while to get a good team, you know, together. I mean, you know, everywhere it's, it's, 
finding people to work is challenging in restaurants right now. So I feel like we're, we're really, we have a good team coming together and we're just trying to take things up another level. Well, that's amazing. And I wish you all the success, right? Um, and it seems Thanks to be so working. Thanks so much. It seems to be working. Thank you so, so much for your giving me of time out of your busy schedule. It's such an honor to have you here and talk to you and just commune. Um, let the kids know if they want to follow you or they want to find you, give them all the handles to all the things. Yeah, we're um, on Instagram at morningbird. Oh, God. I think it's just Morning Bird for the cafe. And uh, the aviary Kinderhook is the restaurant handle. My personal handle is Hannah Chorung, which is my middle name. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Yes, it's at Morning Bird Kinderhook and at the Avery Kinderhook. Yep. And then Hannah Chorung. Yeah, is, there is we that. go. And I'll Thank link you. That, and, I, and I'll link that out. Sorry, I just pulled it. I had it up already. I, I'm usually not that prepared. <laughs> but it was up since we were chatting before we got on here. Um, thank you again for being here. Uh, in your mouth, listeners, go show Chef Hannah all the love. And if you are in upstate New York, go check out any of her restaurants Um and send me photos or, you know, <laughs> just get a get a takeout bag and bring it down to Times Square. It's only a, a couple hours away, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> other than that, have a great week. Um, I am in Wyoming this week, I think. Um, be Working, it's going to be fantastic. I've never been. I'm sure I'll have all the tales for you next week of the mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And other than that, stay safe out there. Um, mind your phones because people are stealing them and doing things. Apparently, it's all over the news. And other than that, I mean, I have to play mom, right, sometimes mm-hmm. to, to the audience here. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, as always, thank you for listening to In Yo One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.